Hello and welcome to Finding Your North Star, the HDKC podcast series where we talk to prominent business people about their experiences and challenges of innovation. I'm Peter Quintana and I'm delighted this morning to welcome Chris Budd. Chris founded financial planning company Ovation Finance in 2000 and sold a majority to an employee ownership trust in March 2018. He's the author of four books, Financial Wellbeing book about money and happiness, The Eternal Business drawn from his experience in selling Ovation, and two novels, which we might get to talk about a little bit later on as well. His consultancy, The Eternal Business, helps business owners work out if selling to an employee ownership trust might be their own succession plan. Chris also writes the Financial Wellbeing podcast. He founded the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, um, the IFW, and is currently chair. And the IFW aims to help advisors to help their clients to be happier, not just wealthier. Chris lives in Somerset with his family, lots of CDs <clears throat> and too many guitars. Uh, so welcome, Chris, and thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everybody. At some point, every business owner starts to think about how they can realise the benefit of all the years of hard work they've spent building their businesses. And I think that, especially right now, when there's so much uncertainty and risk, it's a subject that must be coming up uh, and crossing people's minds. <clears throat> but exit's often the single largest financial transaction in a business owner's lifetime with a lot of risk if things go wrong. And yet the choice of how to exit is actually daunting, isn't it? So can I ask you first what you think an ideal exit looks like? Yeah, well, I think it is a very stressful time, especially if you are the sort of person who has reinvested your profit over the years to grow the business and hasn't done the sensible, sensible financial planning you should have done. And I was such a person. <laughs> I came from the do as I say, don't do as I do school of financial planning. So for me, that exit is everything. And um, it's the financial security for me and my family. And it's the one chance I get. So when I started thinking about it, and I was five years away from wanting to do it when I started thinking about it, I quickly realized that the two standard options, which are management buyout or a trade sale, didn't give me what I wanted because a trade sale, particularly in my uh, sector, the financial services sector, financial advisors, was pretty grubby. There's a lot of consolidators out there and they kind of just hoover up your, your clients and, and don't really care about the, the employees. Well, not all of them, but I'm, I'm generalizing, but, but it's a reasonable generalization. Sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you get a company that's very sympathetic and, and wants to take you on as a, as a going concern. But I didn't know who I was going to get. I didn't know if I was going to get somebody that wanted to care for my clients and employees or if I was going to get somebody that just wanted to you know, take the, the bones of the business. And then the management buyout is tricky as well. There's a fantastic statistic which is that 16% of management buyouts are ultimately successful. That statistic was given to me by an accountant in a pub and he had absolutely no proof of it whatsoever. So I will just say that, but it's, it, I think it illustrates the point that management buyouts uh, can be really difficult because a management team doesn't necessarily have the experience. And of course, ultimately their intention usually is to sell the business on later. So for me, what I wanted was I wanted to get a fair value for the business. I wanted the business to continue. I want to leave a legacy because I've got an ego and I'm proud of my business and I founded it and I want to see it carry on. But I also wanted the employees and the clients to be looked after. Now, there's one extra aspect to this as well, which is that if the business is going to be carrying on as a legacy, I've also got to think about what employees want from the business. And generally speaking, what they want is clarity and security, as well as having access to a bit of control of a say in the business and sharing a bit of profit. 
in my experience, they don't always want the opportunity to buy in, often because they don't actually have the money. So that for me is the ideal exit. Thank you for that. That's a, an ideal exit. So, so why then would an owner consider selling to an employee ownership trust? Uh, I, I think uh, it's the only thing, well, certainly it was the only thing that gave me what I wanted from an exit, which, as I say, was a fair value and to leave the business continuing to look after employees and clients. Why would somebody consider that? I think particularly at the moment, I think the, the, the lockdown has been quite re- revelatory to many people. Mm-hmm. And it's made a lot of people realise just actually how good their employees are. I hope that's the case. I hope then we're going to come along and say, actually, we've realised all our employees are lazy and not done anything. That my experience of a lot of companies is the opposite. That The employees have really handled the autonomy that they've been given. And I'm certainly finding that as lockdown started to ease, we started getting quite a lot of inquiries from business owners who were saying, Do you know what, I think I can let go a little bit. I actually think I can. Now, the ideal situation for the EOT is somebody that has a bit of time to prepare. Let me just give the very basics of how the EOT works. So your shortcut for this is uh, John Lewis. Many of you know how John Lewis is owned. The shares are actually owned by the trust fund and the, the profit goes into the trust fund and it's distributed to the employees. And the EOT is simply the small business version of John Lewis. It came in in 2014. It was introduced by the Liberal Democrat part of the Conservative government, which is why it's not being promoted sufficiently, in my opinion, by the current government, because it wasn't their idea. That's not political. That's just general cynicism about politics. The way it works is that it's that simple model. It's owned by the trust fund. But to get there as a succession plan, what happens is you set up your own EOT, your own little trust fund. So I set up the Ovation EOT. I sell my shares to the EOT. It obviously doesn't have any money because it's just been set up. But what it does now have is the future profit of the business. So it uses that profit to pay me off over a number of years. Now, that three sentences or whatever I've just said throws up all sorts of questions. So let me just try and head a few of them off. Number one, what value do you get for the shares? Well, it's an independent market value. Okay. So if somebody uh, says that you could get more money elsewhere, they are almost certainly not telling the truth. Because if you could get more money elsewhere, it will be reflected in the independent market value that your accountant is giving you. I appreciate sometimes businesses are sold for um, more than their value for strategic reasons, but that's quite rare. Generally speaking, you get a fair market value for the business for the EOT. How are you paid out? Well, that's a slightly weird one because you're kind of negotiating with yourself in this deal. So you set up a repayment schedule. I have chosen to be paid over 10 years. A lot of companies will do it shorter. I chose 10 years because um, I wanted my employees to get a profit share in the early days, which they have done. So what happens is, let's take an example. This isn't my business, I stress. Let's say that there's a million pound business and profit of a year. That means I set my my payment to be over, let's say, five years, 200,000 a year, I'm paid off. What I chose to do was over the equivalent of 10 years. In in my example, that would mean 200,000 profit a year, 100,000 goes to pay me, the other 100,000 shared with the employees. And you can choose your own repayment schedule. You can choose your own timescale. Does it have to be all the shares? No, it must be a controlling interest. So at least 51%. But the remainder of the shares could be kept by the, the owner. It could be uh, sold to management team. It could be put into employees, a share incentive plan. There's lots of options there. I actually sold 70% of Ovation. I retained 30% and I'm still chairman. So that's another question. Can the owner carry on being involved? Yes. 
but that does throw up some really challenging issues around control because this is a really key sentence okay your earnout comes from a company that you no longer control now if you're selling to any company, that's the case. In fact, you have even less control, I would argue, particularly with a trade sale. At least with the EOT, you can still be on the board and you'll have a sale and purchase agreement, which will give you lots of protection if things go wrong. But ultimately, you do need to let go. And that is what I do. I help prepare the culture of businesses, the employee engagement of businesses, specifically for employee ownership. It's interesting that you, you picked up on that challenge of, of letting go, because my next ch- question was going to be about challenges. Do you think that's the biggest challenge that an owner has if they, like you, have, uh, <clears throat> want to retain some involvement in the business? And what other challenges particularly do you think they have? I would say there are two main challenges. The first one is recognising that they don't know enough about their business. So there's an old expression, uh, which I always kind of poo-pooed, which was that owners are the biggest barriers to the growth of their business. And I always, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when I came out, I realized it was absolutely true. And owners do tend to be, so so let me put it this way, that there's an old, there's a great line, isn't there, that 95% of people consider themselves to be above average drivers. And I would say the same thing with owners about their businesses. I've spoken to literally hundreds of business owners over the last two and a half years. And I reckon, um, and I talked to them about the importance of employee engagement, about empowering employees. And I would say 95% of them say, well, yeah, of course, we're different for everybody else because all our employees are really engaged and empowered. So I asked them. One of the exercises that we do is we go into a company and we do a report. I interview employees and I say, how engaged are you? How empowered are you? Are you actually able to make decisions? Does the owner um, allow you to make decisions or not? And honestly, almost every single time, the answer comes back, the owner is fantastic. They're such a visionary. We're only here because of them. But they did ask me to do this project. And when I gave them the answer, they changed their minds and did something different. And that happens all the time. So genuinely, uh, and this brings us to the second point, genuinely letting go of control and recognizing how hard it is to do so are, I would say, the two biggest challenges. We started working a few months ago with a company called Engagement Multiplier, who are specifically uh, around employee engagement, because that's a subject we talk to our our clients about on a regular basis as well. And this is a quarterly kind of dip into employee workforce to find out what they think about owners and leaders in the business. So it's a really, really good way. We we should have a conversation about that separately. In, In your book, you talk a lot about starting by planting your flag. What, what exactly do you mean by that? I think it's become recognised through particularly Simon Sinek's work over the last few years, the importance of a company having a clear purpose. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's really absolutely key for employee-owned businesses, I think. And purpose is not we aim to be better than everybody else, particularly that in the financial services world, if you look on the websites of most financial advisors in the opening paragraph, it says we're different from everybody else. Well, clearly you're not, are you? Because you're all saying you're different from everybody else. Uh, how are you different from everybody else? What is it that you, that you live for? So if we take Ovation, my old financial planning company, you said in the intro that I do, the other hat I wear is financial well-being. And our, our strap line, if you like, it's not really a strap line, it's, it's, it's embedded in the business, is at Ovation, we help clients to use their money to accumulate life rather than 
their life to accumulate money. And that really encapsulates that we're all about happiness and well-being, et cetera, in a financial planning firm. That's very different financial planning firms, financial advice firms. And what that means is that we attract clients who don't just want some tax advice. If somebody comes along and says, can you invest this money for me? And then you can take as much commission as you like and we'll never see you. We won't take them as a client. We don't want that kind of client. So it also means that you attract employees who get that as well, who want to deliver that kind of service. Now, in an employee-owned company, this is particularly important. Remember, this is all about owners feeling able to let go. All about owners feeling able to give up control and step slowly away. And you can't do that unless you feel your company that you care so passionately about, which lives your values and principles that defines you, is going to carry on in the same way. And that's one of the biggest reasons I see that um, owners fail to let go is because they haven't really embedded their values into the business by way of what we call this flag in the ground. Mm. So it's a really important part of the process is to make that clear, get everybody involved in the process of making it clear. Although personally, I believe the initial top line comes from the founder and then you bring the employees in to say, well, how is this real in our business? Mm. Um, one of the exercises that we do in the we have an online program that companies go through one of the exercises is called prove it i think this is in the book as well and it basically says that you say you're different from everybody else prove it mm. simple yeah. so the flag is all about the the passion and the vision of the founder and encapsulating that sticking it in the ground and say come on then everybody gather around yeah and and embedding the values of the business as well in in day-to-day behaviors that, absolutely that, again that's, yeah. a, that's a challenge we find uh, a lot with uh, clients we're working with and it's so it's so aligned with engagement generally isn't it the the owner mindset is something that most entrepreneurs will have but employees might not yet if they're going to own the business they need to change the way they think don't they how do you go about developing an owner mindset in your employees well i'll start with a very quick story if i may about what i did wrong (laughs) quite a lot of things wrong that's how you learn isn't it uh, I, uh, I said to my employees, before I'd even found the EOT as a model, I said to my employees, right, guys, I want you to get more involved in the running of the business, in business decisions. So I want you to go down the pub after work and just discuss what you would change about the business. Of course, the first thing is two people complained that it was out of work hours. So that was my first mistake, which is also a bit of a message, isn't it? <laughs> so they go to the pub, they have a chat, have three meetings, and then they say, Chris, we'd like you to come along to the next meeting because we've made our first business decision. Brilliant. I'm so enthusiastic and excited about this. So we go in the pub and they sit there and say, come on, what is it? What you, well, you say, our first business decision is we'd like to have more holidays. And I really quickly realized I hadn't set this up right at all. You know, so and I've, I've seen loads of examples of that, of employee forums who come along to the board and say, yes, we'd like to move the bike, bike shares from over there to over there, you know. So the things that you need to do to get employees to genuinely start thinking like business owners is, number one, you need to give them a genuine say in the business, which means you need to have what we call pathways of control. You need to have their voice being heard. That's the phrase that I use all the time is the employee voice. And through an employee ownership trust, that is via the trust, you should have an employee trustees. One of the questions someone will ask, who are the trustees? And one of the trustees should always be an employee trustee and they should be responsible for the employee voice being heard in the board. And if it is genuinely heard and there's two-way feedback, there's two-way messaging, 
then employees will start to feel, well, I actually do have a voice and they will therefore start to use that voice. If they don't feel there's a genuine voice because maybe they've made suggestions um, and they haven't been acted upon or haven't had any feedback about them, they won't offer any more suggestions. However, you've also got to make them recognize that this is not a co-op, you don't get a vote. That's why the, the word employee voice is so important. Uh, because it's about hearing what people think and acting upon them uh, on giving feedback. It's not about, hey, right, everybody, put your hand up, you know. The other thing to get employees to think like business owners is information. You need to share information, particularly financial information. And you need to give them training on how to understand that financial information. And this is where a good accountant will come in, or a finance director, to be able to say to everybody, right, here's a profit and loss. Here's the accounts. Here's our forecasting. Hopefully you have forecasting and this is what it means. And this is what, therefore, the suggestion that you have just made, this is the impact it might have on our profit and loss. So you've just said you want to have more holiday. Okay, that's fine. But this is the impact on the figures that it will have. Now, we might also increase productivity because actually increasing holiday does quite often show an increase in productivity. That's the conversation to be having. And if you treat them, if I can put it this way, as grown-ups, by giving them that information, telling them how to understand it, giving them a genuine voice so that they feel that they're heard, then they will start acting a bit more like business owners. Yeah, yeah there's a brilliant book. I don't know if you've, if you've come across it called Reinventing Organisations by Frederick Lalu. You've got yep. it on there. Yeah, but I thought you probably would have. But I mean, that starts with the premise that, you know, if you're going to employ somebody, why wouldn't you trust them? Otherwise, yeah, why so employ them? There's a really good expression. There's an HR director from a, a company called Nucleus, Kirsty Liner, who's absolutely brilliant. And one of the things that she says is that as you grow your business and you start to appoint a board, everybody says that people is the most important thing in their business. And yet the first board appointment is the FD, yeah. not HR director. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you talked about positioning, say, or voice, as you put it, and, and getting that wrong to begin with. But what are the other lessons that you learned going through this process? Because I know you've been fairly candid with us that it, it wasn't all a bed of roses on the way through. So is there anything that you'd do differently if you were to have that time again? Yeah, I would still do it. Yeah. So, so no regret. I wouldn't be out. That's, that's good, because everybody's on here to learn. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> but, you know, I suspect, well, I know there's one story of a guy, and this is quite illustrative, actually, um, uh, a business owner who uh, got a large business and he announced to all his employees uh, that he was sending to the EOT and one of the questions was so upsetting to him he there and then cancelled it and changed his mind and that actually is one of the lessons prepare your engagement plan so do not do not go and talk to your employees or your leadership team until you have your engagement plan right so in the online program that we run the first course is just for the owner and nobody else and we recommend that that should take about three months for you to prepare what we call a core proposition and an engagement plan. And these things are so that when you give the story, when you explain your plans, it will be heard in the most positive way. One of my mistakes was that I thought I was doing something generous and nice and that everyone was going to say, oh my God, Chris, you are so wonderful. Thank you for being such a great boss. And employees don't always think like that. <laughs> so, and I got hostility from one particular person and I could not get my head around it. I'm, I'm selling the business to you. Of course, I'm not. I'm selling the business to a trust for your benefit. And that's very, very different. So getting your engagement plan right is, is, is one thing that I would definitely do differently. There's one thing I haven't said, which is great that I haven't said it. This exit is tax free. You pay no capital gains tax, not even entrepreneurs really, zero tax 
if you sell to an EOT under the current rules. Now, it's great that I haven't mentioned that before because that really must not be a driver. And a lot of accountants, corporate finance, etc., are selling this as a tax-free exit and we'll, we'll turn it around for you in 12 weeks. And that's an absolute disaster because I hope from what I've been saying, you can hear that it takes, it took me seven years to get my business ready. I recommend it should ideally take between 18 months and two years. Ideally, that's the minimum. And I recognize that's not always possible, but ideally. Whereas a lot of solicitors and accountants want the fee and therefore they're pushing people in really, really quickly without any of the preparation. So that's another thing I wouldn't do. Uh, I wouldn't talk to my accountant um, first. I would talk to family and friends and I would talk to somebody who knows about EOTs. Go to an employee ownership association meeting, for example. Oh, obviously talk to me, but you know, that, that's that. I've hopefully taken this red. So I, I, I probably, the biggest mistake I made was positioning it that I was somehow doing a good thing for the employees. I was also positioning it that I was getting my fair value, etc. But I was just excited for it. I was overexcited. Um, and because of that, I created the impression in one or two of them that I was not being truthful to them because I was trying to sell it to them. I wasn't. I was just being excited. <laughs> so slow down, take your time, prepare your engagement plan, prepare how you're going to talk to people about it. Make sure it is actually the right exit for you. Just take time over it. I did my whole exit from my first EOA meeting to sign the paperwork in nine months. And that was at least uh, half the amount of time I should have spent at least. Okay, it kind of preempts the, the question I want to ask you now, actually, and that, and that is, as I said at the beginning of this, this interview, we're, we're living through some challenging times right now. And I know that for some businesses, drawing a line and deciding to exit now is tempting. So do you think that selling to an EOT is an option under these circumstances? And I suspect your answer to that is going to be no because of the time issue. But, but either way, are there any reasons why an owner couldn't or shouldn't sell to an EOT? It's all about risk. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying 18 months to two years is the ideal, but I recognize that that's not always an option for people. So, and also, you know, we actually do deal with quite a few companies who have been shoved into an EOT for the tax by their accountant and have now come to, or the employees have now come to us and said, can you help us? Because we don't really know what we've got here. So we work with quite a few of those companies as well. So remember I said that you get paid from the future profit of the business. You can use cash reserves, but obviously you don't want to leave the company in a difficult position. But if you've built up some, some excess cash reserves, you can use those to extract, remember, tax-free. And then you use the ongoing profit to pay you out. So if you haven't made these preparations, then you have the risk that the employees won't step up, won't take control, won't run the business successfully, won't generate the profit that will pay you out. So it's a risk factor. Um, and if somebody wants to do this quickly and says, well, I just don't have the time to make these preparations, do what you can, do whatever preparations you can, get somebody like us involved uh, so that when you make the sale, the employees have support. Mm -hmm. It's so important to understand that an employee-owned business does not look and act like an ordinary privately-owned business. It has to run differently. Yeah. And it's the EOA, the Employee Ownership Association, call it the whoosh factor. Their stats show that on average, when a company goes employee-owned, profit goes up by 15%, just because of the engagement and the voice and et cetera uh, of the employees. So to get the benefits of that means taking time. If you can't take time, then at least make sure you've put plans in place for the employees to get the support afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you very much for that. That's really, really good. I think we covered a lot of ground there. 
how can people engage with you, Chris? You talked about an online program. I know you work with a select number of companies directly. I, I know we've talked about how we might collaborate working with organizations together who are going through the online program. Uh, and we talk to clients about engagement, uh, in exit, exit planning and employee engagement as well. So how would you like people to engage with you? So the eternalbusiness.com is our website and there's loads. I mean, there's literally about 71 minute videos on there. There's lots and lots of blogs as well. Chris at the eternalbusiness.com, drop me a line. I'll always have a chat with anybody for 20 minutes about whether it's right for them. Mm-hmm. And thereafter, £300 a month is the cost of our online program. It's got 200 or so lessons in it. The idea is that the company goes through that as a low-cost way of, of doing it themselves, and then when they get to something they need a bit of support with, they call us up. Mm-hmm. And that's a way that companies can go through this without you know, having to spend tens of thousands of pounds uh, to do it themselves. Of course, there are quite a few companies or quite a few owners who say, I'm too busy for that. Actually, I would rather just engage you to take us through the, through the program. And I'm non-exec for a couple of companies where I do that, for example, and we have other consultants who are running the program for other companies. So people can run it whichever way they like. We are specifically the issues around employee ownership. And obviously, there's an overlap between that and what you do, Peter, and, and what our business advisors will do. Um, but there, it, it, if there's a Venn diagram, there is an overlap. But there's, there's plenty of stuff that we don't do. We are specifically about the employee ownership and leadership models and stuff like that will overlap with what we both do. But we have the unique insight of, of what actually happens um, when you put this into an employee-owned company. There are, tongue-in-cheek, I say I'm one of the UK's leading experts in the employee ownership for the small business, which is a grand thing to say, but there's only about five of us, (laughs) because it's a very young, if you like, market sector. There are something like 320 EOT-owned businesses in the UK. That's all. Yeah, it's very Yeah, it is. But there is a wave coming through. As I say, it only came out six years ago, and it takes time to prepare and for owners to get their head around it. Big high-profile ones recently, Arvin Animations here in Bristol, Wallace and Gromit and all that, um, Richard Sands, Riverford Foods. So there's some, you know, well-known companies now going through it. So, yeah, that's how people can engage with me. They can either go on the program, just give us a call, or engage us a bit more proactively. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, um, Chris.